25-32. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me, and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Heavenly Father, as we open your word this morning, God, I pray as, just as we have worshipped in prayer, as we have worshipped in song, now we enter a time of worshipping in your word. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts that we might receive your word as you intend it. God, I pray that you would give me the words, you would guard my heart, and you would guide my mind so that your truth may go forth, your word may be proclaimed, and your people may be changed evermore into the image of your Son. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. In 1521, Martin Luther was called before a council in the city of Worms, Germany, to account for the many works he had written against the traditions of the Roman Catholic Church that were not founded on the Word of God. The Roman Church had strayed from the truth of God, and Luther believed that the beliefs and actions of the Church should come solely from and be based upon the Word of God alone. At this council... He stood before the emperor and cardinals and bishops and leaders of the church and he was asked to recant his belief that the word of God must be the authority by which the church and really all believers individually would live. And when asked to recant, he stated, knowing that his very life was on the line based off what he was about to say, this is what he said. As your imperial majesty and your lordships demand a simple answer, here it is, plain and unvarnished. Unless I am convinced of error by the testimony of scripture or of plain reason, since I put no trust in this unsupported authority of the pope or councils, since it is plain that they have often erred and often contradicted themselves, I stand convinced by the scriptures to which I have appealed and my conscience is held captive by the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything. For to act against conscience is neither safe for us nor open to us. So on this I take my stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. So even in the face of threats to his own life, his own safety to his very being, Luther stood on the word of God. When everything was threatened to be stripped away from him and, and his life, his very life held in the balance, he held fast to God's word. And in this new year, when many things may seem uncertain, 
when things around us seem to be changing on an almost momentary basis, in an ever-changing world, we can cling to His unfading Word. In an ever-changing world, we can cling to His unfading Word. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8 is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. So favorite, in fact, that when Luann and I got married, we had two cakes, as many people do traditionally. We had the wedding cake. That was really kind of her cake. And then we had the groom's cake. And the groom's cake, as you can imagine, as nerdy as I am, the groom's cake was actually a Bible. Uh, it, was, it looked exactly like a Bible. And on the Bible it had Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And when the word of God stands forever, it will never change. The word will never fade away. And so when the foundations of this world and really the foundations of your own personal life feel that they are beginning to crumble from underneath you, we should cling to his word because at our lowest point, he gives us life. At our lowest point, he gives us life. Look at verse 25 of Psalm 119. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. Now, very quickly, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in all of Scripture. It has 176 verses in it. It's organized according to the Hebrew alphabet. And in the Hebrew alphabet, in Hebrew, in Psalm 119, every single line that goes through Psalm 119, the first word of that line begins with that letter. It was a way for people to memorize and to understand and to remember the Word of God. And the subject of Psalm 119 is, in fact, the Word of God. Uh, you, almost, you can't go to any section of Psalm 119 without hearing about the Word of God. The psalmist uses different words to describe it. Commands, statutes, judgments, precepts, and so on. Rules. Every one of those means God's Word. And when he says in this passage in verse 25, he tells us that his soul was clinging to the dust. So he's crying out to God, my soul clings to the dust, give me life according to your word. So the dust indicates mourning or sorrow. That was a common phrase and a common practice that when someone was sorrowing or someone was broken or in grief over something, they would lay down. You've heard the term in dust and ashes. They would lay down in the dirt to show that they were at the lowest point they could be. But it's so bad. In fact, he doesn't just say that he's in the dust. He says, my soul, the Hebrew word there means life. My, the very inmost part of my being clings to the dust. There is something going on in the psalmist's life that is so bad, he is at the lowest point he could possibly be. He says, my very life clings to the dirt. It indicates that he feels like whatever it is, it's something he can't shake. Why? Because it clings to the dirt. It's not just in the dirt. It's clinging to the dirt. It's hanging on. This is something he can't let go of. Have you ever been at a point in your life Maybe you're there now, but have you ever been at a point in your life, emotionally or spiritually, physically even, uh, but, but have you ever been at a point in your life where you were so low, you felt like without help you could never get out of that place? You were so low, uh, you, were, you were so down, you were so broken, you were so pushed down that you could not save yourself. He says, my soul clings to the dust. 
So what's his request? His request is, give me life according to your word. He's so low, low, he feels devoid of life. He's describing it as if he is basically at the point where death is the very next step. He's so low that his soul clings to the dust and his one cry to God is that God would give him life. So he recognizes something that many of us forget each and every moment. And that is this. That every moment of your life, every breath that you take, every heartbeat that you have, every step that you accomplish, everything that you do, every moment of your existence is dependent upon Almighty God. And so when the psalmist is at his lowest point, there is only one place he can turn. And it's not because he's at his lowest point and now he feels that he can turn to God. He's at his lowest point to the, to the, to the place that he feels that he is about to die and what he needs is not rescuing, what he needs is life. He doesn't need to be rescued, he needs to be resurrected. That's what he's asking God to do. And so when he says, God give me life, he recognizes something we often forget. And that is that in our lowest point and in our highest point, every ounce of our life we are owing to God alone. So he says, God, give me life. He says, not just save my life, but bring new life, invigorate it, resurrect me. But there's a key phrase here because he doesn't just leave it there. See, we would say, okay, so what you're saying is when I'm at the lowest point of my life, now I, I really want you to catch this. So, so listen, when I'm at the lowest point of my life, all I need to do is cry out to God and God can resurrect and reinvigorate my life. And that's absolutely true. You can cry out to God and he will do it. But the psalmist understood something that you and I seem to forget. See, sometimes we think that our relationship with God is kind of like us existing and God is the genie in the lamp. When we need him, we rub it and things happen. But, in, uh, but if we don't, uh, if we don't need him, quote unquote, uh, then we don't have to deal with him. But look at how the psalmist says, God gives life. This is how the psalmist said, God gives life. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. According to your word. He is clinging to the promises of God. How does he know that God is the giver of life. Is that something he just understands intuitively? No. This is something. He knows he can turn to God and ask for life because the word of God tells him he can turn to God and ask for life. The word of God tells him that God is the giver of life. The word of God tells him that God will lift him up when his head is bowed low. He says, give me life according to to your word. It's as if to say, or as if he is saying, Lord, I'm at my lowest point, so God, give me life just like you promised in your word. That's what he's saying, according to your word. He's appealing to what he knows about God. He is calling God, in a sense, to account and saying, Lord, you promised this, so God, I'm going to stand on your promise. Here's the thing, fo follower of Christ, it is very difficult for you it is very difficult for me to stand on the promises of God's word when we don't know the promises of God's word. 
You cannot stand on the truth of God's word if you don't know the truth of God's word. You can't recite scripture if you've never read scripture. You can't quote scripture if you've never memorized scripture. And you can't abide in scripture if you have never meditated on scripture. He says, give me life according to your word. Have you been there? Have you been at the place the psalmist is at this morning? Have you been at that low spot? And again, like I said, maybe you're there even now. See, he was at a pretty difficult place. In verse 23 of Psalm 119, his enemies were slandering him. In verse 61, he is bound. In verse 69, he is being lied about. In verse 83, he is suffering. And in verse 141, he is despised by everyone. This is a pretty low situation in this man's life. And yet, when we are at our lowest, he doesn't just make us feel a little better. That's not what the psalmist cried out for. He cried out for life. The very lifeblood of the believer is done how? According to his word. Only one who clings to the word of God and by inference to God himself can truly live life abundantly. Now, right off the bat, I'll tell you, some of you are struggling this morning, and, and the reason you're struggling, you're overcome by the uncertainty, the, the pain, uh, and the suffering in this world. You're, you're thinking about, you, you've seen all the memes, right, about uh, uh, you know, 2022 and 2021 and 2020. Man, as long as those are behind us, 2023 is coming, right? And then it shows the picture of 2023, and it's a guy riding his bike into a brick wall. And you just think, you know what? That's what I've come to expect. Every single thing is going wrong. You may be at the place where you're saying, what's the point? Why, Why even try to live like this and and you you may have even come to the place where you've you've said something in your in your own mind in your own soul you've thought there has got to be there has got to be a better way to do this there has got to be a better way to live this life and today i want to tell you this if you have never given your life to christ there is a better way there is a better way than the way you're living. See, because you're trying to live this life, hear me, you're trying to live this life apart from the author of life. You're trying to make a life separated from the maker of life. You're trying to give other people life separated from the giver of life. You cannot live this life truly the way you were supposed to apart from Jesus Christ. So if you don't know him this morning, I can tell you this. The reason you feel miserable, the reason you feel uncertain, the reason you do not feel whole is because you do not have Christ. But you can. See, so many say, well, it just sounds too simple. Can I tell you? Coming to Jesus is simple. Living for Jesus is difficult. Coming to Jesus is simple. So, well, what do I have to do? That's the beauty of it. Stop. Stop trying to do anything and just give yourself over to Jesus. So what are the, can you give me steps one, two, three, and four? Yes, step one, give yourself over to Jesus. Step two, see step one. That's the way it works. 
Give yourself over to Christ. Trust in Him. Trust in what He did on the cross and what He did when He rose from the dead. You put your faith in Him. You say, you're going to rule my life from now on. You give yourself over to Him, and that's what it means to trust Jesus. And then you have given yourself to the author of life, and the author of life will write your story. And it will make sense. Only in Jesus Christ is there true and everlasting life. So as we gain this renewed life, as the psalmist cries out for, by clinging to God's word, we can't do it living according to our own wisdom. We can't do it living according to our own ideas. But instead we should cling to his word because it is our only source of wisdom in this life. Look at verse 26. When I told you, or when I told of my ways, you answered me, teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. So he says here, when I told of my ways, you answered me. He unburdened himself before the Lord. He comes to the Lord, and he tells him his trouble. And so he lays it out on the line. He says, I have, I have told you my ways and you answered me. And then what's his request? Teach me your statutes. Teach me your statutes. The word statutes, again, is just another word for the word of God. After expressing his need to the Lord, he actually desires to know more about God. He says, Lord... I have, I have laid myself bare before you. My soul is clinging to the dust. I need you to give me life according to your word. I've laid myself out, told you everything uh, that, that is in my heart. I've laid myself bare before you. Now, God, please teach me your word. And then he says something interesting. Make me understand the way of your precepts. Do you realize how incapable you and I are of truly understanding the wisdom of God. You and I, left to our own devices, cannot understand the wisdom and the work of God. We can't understand the Word of God unless we have the Spirit of God helping us to understand the Word of God. And the, the, the psalmist here, he understands this. That's why he says, Lord, teach me your statutes. And this is the beauty of it. it, it we have a lot of teachers, a lot of educators, in, or former educators in our, in our uh, congregation. And, and here's the thing. You can teach people all day long. But have you ever been at the point where you just wish you could make them understand like i have explained this to you 25 times how are you not getting this i wish i could make you understand but what's the one thing you have to come to grips with you cannot make people understand anything they either do or they don't unless you're god and the psalmist knows this so he says, I need to be revived. I need new life according to your word. So teach me your statutes. And God, I understand how much of an imbecile I actually am. So could you make me understand, please? See, this is the kind of prayer of someone who is so utterly dependent upon God. Someone who is so utterly dependent upon the wisdom and leadership of God that he recognizes he in and of himself does not even have the ability to understand. He needs God to make him understand. But why? Well, here's his purpose. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate 
on your wondrous works. He does not say, teach me your word, make me understand your word, so that I can impress other people with how much of your word I know. He does not say, help me, teach me, make me understand, so that other people will think I'm super spiritual. He says, teach me, make me understand, and then I will meditate. I will meditate on your word. I will meditate on your wondrous works. Why? Because his wondrous works are found where? In his word. So when you meditate on God's word, you meditate on his works, what he is saying is this, is God, I need you to teach me, and then even when you teach me, I need you to make me understand, and when you make me understand, it's just going to want to make me meditate on your word more and more. In the New Testament, the word meditate, it can be translated a couple of ways. And one of them is to mumble. So it, it, it means to mumble. And the idea behind that is that when you meditate on God's word, you say it over and over and over again, and you're thinking through it in your mind, you're mumbling under your breath. You're, you're, you're mumbling, you're meditating. Now the other word that can be used, it can also mean to chew. Uh, to chew. The idea behind meditation, this is a really fun um, illustration right before you go eat lunch or brunch or whatever you do on New Year's. But the idea behind meditating is the way that a cow chews on its cud, right? So it eats grass, and if you're familiar with this, I know you, many of you are, but the cow eats the grass, and then it swallows it. And then it regurgitates it, and it chews it again. And then it swallows it. And then it regurgitates it, and it chews it again. Until it does what? Until it gets every single aspect of what it can get from that grass, that's what it does. And that's what it means to meditate on God's Word. You read it over and over and over and over again until you feel you have wrung it completely dry. And then you have to rest in what the Apostle Paul says is that the riches of God are so expansive you cannot measure the width or the height. That means no matter how many times you chew it, no matter how many times you wring it, you will never wring it dry. That's why you can hear people say they've been studying the Word of God for 40 or 50 years and then they studied for their Sunday school lesson this week and they will say something like, I've been reading this passage for 40 years and this is the first time I ever saw this. If you could testify to that, you would. That's the truth. Why? Because God's Word, the depths of God's Word cannot be plumbed. He says, make me understand and I will meditate on your wondrous works. See, we in this life, we have to cling to God's word because it's the only source of wisdom. It's the only source of wisdom we have to live this life in a God-honoring way. It can be easy, very easy. And in fact, if we're not diligent about it, it, it can become second nature to depend on our own wisdom to do things. It can become second nature to depend on our own thoughts uh, to be uh, on how to navigate this life. But I can tell you this, and, and I don't know if this is true of your life, but all my wisdom has ever done has caused me more pain. All my wisdom has ever done has caused me more difficulty. And only when the Lord has allowed me to reach the fullness of my imbecility do I come to a place where I realize that maybe, just maybe, I should stop depending on my own wisdom and depend on His. And the moment I do that, everything's taken care of. 
And you would think after decades upon decades of being a believer that I would figure that out, but I still haven't. I still make that mistake. I still depend on my own wisdom. I still go to God in prayer last instead of first. I still go to his word last instead of first oftentimes because I am so used to depending on my own wisdom. And yet we have to cling to his word because we have no other way of knowing how to live this life in a God-honoring way. And if we do this and we meditate on his word, then we can meditate on his wondrous works. So as we walk through this life seeking God, we should cling to his word because it is the source of strength and faithfulness. Not only is it a source of wisdom, but it is the source of strength and faithfulness. Look at verse 28. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. So, not only is his soul clinging to the dust, as he just said a moment ago, but his, his, his very soul is melting away for sorrow. And lest you wonder how, the psalmist actually tells us that his struggles, his difficulties, his hardships are actually not just random acts of things that happen because you live in this world. He tells us in Psalm 119, in verse 28, verse 50, verse 67, verse 71, verse 75, verse 83, verse 92, verse 107, verse 143, and verse 153, that his suffering comes solely from his holding to the word of God. If you hold to the word of God, the world and those around you will not like it. There will be people, if they stand against the word of God and they stand against God, then if you hold to the word of God, they're going to stand against you too. And the psalmist here says, my soul's melting away. You do realize that it is okay to admit you're human. And when you stand on the word of God and people attack you, he says, my very soul feels like it's melting my very soul feels like it's wasting away because of the difficulty that I'm experiencing. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me. So now, not only has he said, my soul clings to the dust. Now he's saying, my soul is melting away. The first one, he asked for life. The second one, he asked for strength. Not only does he need to be raised up, but then he needs the ability from God to live for this every single day. He needs to be strengthened by God every single day. But notice how it happens. You, you, I hope you're seeing the pattern here. My soul clings to the dust, so give me life according to your word. My soul melts away for sorrow, so strengthen me according to your word. How does life come? It comes from the word of God. How does the strength to live daily for God come? It comes from the word of God. You cannot live your life for Jesus Christ if you are not in his word on a regular basis. That's why I will tell you honestly, 
In all of my years of pastoring, I've come to the place where I ask the exact same question every single time when someone comes to me with specific issues like, I feel, I just feel far from God. I don't feel close to the Lord. I don't feel uh, the Lord's presence in my life like I used to. I don't, I don't feel, um, I don't, I don't feel anything in worship. I don't, whatever, you know, the first thing is don't depend so much on your feelings. But uh, the second one is uh, the first question that I ask is always the same. Okay, well, um, how often are you in God's Word? And I don't mean reading a little verse on your refrigerator before you run out the door. How often are you in God's Word? And I can tell you, 100% of the time, people who are struggling with themselves spiritually, struggling with feeling near to God, struggling in worship, struggling in prayer, all of those things, when I ask that question, when it comes down to it, the answer is, well, not as much as I used to be. Well, not as much as I know I should be. You know why? Because the ability to live this life is given by God through His Word. And the ability to live this life on a daily basis, you are only able to do that if you are strengthened by God through His Word. So if you feel weak, Christian, if you feel broken, if you feel wasted away, if you feel like the foundations are crumbling from underneath you, believer, know this, your only life, your only strength can be found in the Word of God. And if you don't run to the Word of God, you will be running from everything else. So he says, strengthen me according to your Word Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. He recognized his need. Hear me. He recognized his need. Do you notice this? There is nothing in the psalm that says anything about the psalmist's ability to do anything. God, my soul is clinging to the dust. I need you to give me life according to your word. God, my soul is melting away. I need you to give me strength according to your word. Lord, I find myself very, as the, as the hymn writer says, prone to wander. Lord, I, I, I feel it. He, he, he sees himself as, it's very easy for me to wander away. So much so that he doesn't say, God, give me the ability not to sin. Look what he says. Put false ways far from me. He's saying, God, I want you to take sin and the opportunity for me to sin. Because I know myself and I know how I am. Lord, I need you to take it and just put it far away from me so I won't do it anymore, so I don't even have the chance to do it. God, I need you to just remove it from in front of me. Take it out of my sight so that I won't see it. Why? Because not only does he recognize that he's dependent on God for life, not only does he recognize that he's dependent on God for strength to live day to day, but he recognizes that he's even dependent upon God to not sin. That's why the psalmist elsewhere says, verse that many of us memorized. I know I memorized. My dad had me memorized uh, when I was a young man because that's what it says. How can a young man cleanse his way? And you'll get when I, uh, when I memorized this and how I memorized it. But how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereunto according to your word. For I have hidden your word in my heart. For what reason? That I might not sin against you. So God's word is the source of your life. God's word is the source of your strength. And God's word is the thing that protects you from sin. 
Through the power of the Holy Spirit, God's word is the thing that keeps you near the Lord and far from sin. So he, he cries out to God, put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. He doesn't have to do it, but he prays that God in his grace will do it. And if you will cry out to the Lord, if you'll seek the Lord in his word, and you'll say, God, teach me your word. Help me understand your word. I need you to show me uh, what you're saying and, and how to live this life in your word. Do you know this? He's a gracious God, and he'll do it, but it's according to his grace. It's not according to anything you've done. So he says, graciously teach me your law. So he's making these requests, but now he switches. The last three verses of the psalm, he switches to declarations. He's gone from saying, God, this is what's going on. Can you do this for me? God, this is what's going on. Can you do this for me? God, this is what's going on. Can you do this for me? To now, I will do this. I will do this. Look at verse 30. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. Ultimately, the only way to stay on the path, the only way to to walk that straight and narrow and faithfully walk with the Lord is to walk according to his word. Look what he says. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. They are ever in front of me. The only way to stay on that path is to keep your eyes fixed on the one target that never moves. According to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, the one target that never changes, the one target that never fades, and that's the Word of God. He says to keep those things in front of you. See, the inability to live for Christ in this life many times comes from not knowing what He expects of us in certain situations. And yet, the Word of God tells us that we've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. So, why do we fail and falter in this life? It's because we don't know what God expects. It was two reasons, really. We either don't know what God expects of us, and that can be remedied by knowing God's Word, or we do know what God expects of us, and we don't care, and that can be remedied by going to God's Word and repenting of your sin. Either way, going to God's Word is the answer for how we live this life. So it's to constantly have it on our mind. It's to, it's to, it's to constantly think about it. It's to live a life that honors God and remains faithful to Him by having His Word ever before us. See, the, 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 the Jewish practice, many times we look at it, we think it looks silly, but the truth is they were seeking to honor God in the best way possible that they could. And that's why they have these things that, uh, that they, would, they would put on their arms and that they tie around, the Orthodox Jews tie around their, their foreheads. It has the Word of God in it. Probably taking it a little too literal from the, New Te or the Old Testament, but nonetheless, they're taking it more seriously than many of us do. Because we were told, they were told to bind the word of God to their mind. To bind it to their hand. To, why? Because when you work with your hands and you're thinking all day long, what are you thinking? Well, if you bind the word of God to your mind and you bind the word of God to your hands, you, the word of God is ever before you. Deuteronomy chapter 6 
When the children of Israel are told, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then they're told something. Now, teach these things to your children, and do so when you're lying down, when you rise up, and when you go about your way. What is he saying? The Word of God is supposed to be a part of every aspect of your day. Say, well, I work in an environment that... I didn't say you had to be using and saying the Word of God nonstop where people think you're some sort of a lunatic. I'm saying the Word of God should be on your mind all day long. The Word of God should be in your heart all day long. So, well, how do I put it in my heart? Well, he says how to put it or, or how, to, how to do this is to meditate on God's Word. Memorize God's Word. If we're to remain faithful to Him, His Word has to remain ever before us. And then finally, we should cling to his word because only by it can we live in freedom. Verse 31, I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Don't miss the wordplay there. Verse 25, My soul clings to the dust. Verse 31, I cling to your testimonies. Same word. What is the remedy for his soul clinging to the dust? Let go and cling to the word. That's what he does. He goes from clinging to the dust to clinging to God's word. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord Let me not be put to shame. He's placing his hope in the Lord and recognizing that ultimately his only hope is in God and he's trusting that the Lord will be faithful in it. So his soul clings to the dust so he turns and says, I'm going to cling to your word instead. That's the remedy. Then what does he say? I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Again, he's gone from clinging to the dust and melting away to running. Do you notice that? We've got a man who's, the picture here is, his soul is clinging to the dust, so he reaches up instead and clings to God's word. And when he clings to God's word, instead of his soul melting away, he is now running in the way that God called him to. I will run in the way of your commandments. Not walk, not saunter, not get there when I get there. Run. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. God, expand my ability to understand your word. That's what he's saying. Expand my ability to understand and to receive your word. When we live according to the word of God, with God's word at the center of our lives, then we will have God at the center of our lives. And by being bound to him alone, we will find true freedom. Our our souls, we may at times feel that our souls are clinging to the dust. But in that moment, when you feel like your soul, your very life is clinging to the dust, cling to God's word. When you feel that your very soul is melting away, cling to God's word and run in the way of his commandments. And then ask God to help you understand it more and more and more. Because only in 
God's word can we live in true freedom. So 25 years later, roughly 1546, after his famous speech in Worms, Germany, the reformer Martin Luther was dying, and he was determined to preach his last sermon. It's my kind of guy. He was dying. He was helped up to preach, leaned on the pulpit, and began to preach his last sermon. After a lifetime of ministering and, and truthfully running away from people who wanted to kill him because of his stance on the Word of God, 25 years later, you would think after that much of a beating, after that much of a soul clinging to the... I mean, the man had to live in hiding after the, uh, his trial at Worms uh, for for a very long time because the moment he showed his face in public he would have been killed he could not do that so you would think after decades 25 years of living like this most of the time you would think that he would back off that he would soften his belief and yet on his deathbed in his last sermon this is what he said lo this means that the wise of this world are rejected that we may learn not to think ourselves wise and put away from our eyes all great personages indeed, to shut our eyes altogether and cling only to Christ's word and come to him as he so lovingly invites us to do and say, Thou alone art my beloved Lord and Master and I am thy disciple. This and much more might be said concerning this gospel. But I am too weak, and we shall let it go at that. And that was his final sermon. What did he say? What was the, the root of everything he said? From the beginning in 1521 when he said, My conscience is held captive to the word of God. And to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. So here I stand. God help me. 25 years later, what is the last thing he says? He declares... That everything else in this life will try to pull you. It will try to push you down. Your soul may even cling to the dust. But what he says is, cling only to Christ's word and come to him. In this new year, with all its uncertainties, believer, may we cling to the only thing, the only thing that will never change which is the Word of God. To that end, if you remember, some of you, especially those of you who keep notes um, in your Bible pretty diligently because you remind me what I said months ago, you'll look back and realize that the first Sunday of 2022, I preached a sermon on the Word of God. It's pretty much my MO because I believe that's where we start every year. It's on the Word of God. We will be a church known for our stance on the Word of God. We will be a church known for the preaching of the Word of God. And so because of that, we need to be a people of the Word. So to that end, last year I presented a Bible reading plan. Many of you have actually come to me. That's, that's my heart good, just so you know. Many of you have come to me and said, Hey, where's the next one? Because we're already at the end. There's an intention for that. You're supposed to. It leaves a little bit of space on purpose. But the idea of the Bible reading plan is that it's actually a three-year process. Many of you, I know, read your Bible through each year, and that's wonderful. I'm, I'm grateful that you do that. Some, though, that feels very overwhelming, and, and I understand that. And so uh, the, the Bible reading plan that I designed, at least at first, 
There'll be levels to this. But that, that we did is a Bible reading plan that takes you through the entire Bible in three years. Okay, And, and it, it breaks it down day by day. It gives you everything. The ladies in the office have been diligent to try to figure out um, how I created this file and messed it up somehow. But they fixed it, and it's printed, um, and they are out on the, the little welcome desk out here in the foyer. If you could grab one, there are not a ton of them right now, so if you could take one per family, we'll have more next week. Uh, but they're out there so that you can begin your Bible reading plan. So this is the second one. But no, they said, well, I didn't even know about the first one. That's okay. They don't build on one another, so just read the second one. Then next year we'll have the third one. And then the year after that, you can go back to the first one. And, and the idea behind it is just keep doing that. And then eventually we'll have one that goes through the Bible um, twice a year. And then we'll have one where you read the Bible once a year. Then we'll have one where you read through the New Testament once every month and the Old Testament three times a year. Why? Because in this life and in an ever-changing world, we can cling only to the Word of God.